This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. Voluntary principle states that all human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. This podcast aims to promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. The Ron Paul Homeschool Curriculum is a self-directed education trove for ages 5 to adult. Students will learn all about economics, history, mathematics, science, and even business and personal finance. To sign up for the Ron Paul Homeschool Curriculum, please use our special link at ronpauleducation.com. That's ronpauleducation.com. Uh, before we start the episode, I want to invite you to join me as a featured guest. I'd love to chat and get to know you and give you this platform to bounce your ideas around. To schedule... Go to the main website at everythingvoluntary.com. On the right-hand side, there's a link to schedule with me immediately. Click that link, select a day and time, answer the questions, and submit. That's all it takes. Thank you so much. Hello, welcome to the podcast. It is November 23rd, just a few days away from Thanksgiving. If I don't say anything then, happy Thanksgiving. In this episode, I wanted to look at this new report by the American Institute for Economic Research, AIER.org, that catalogs the costs of lockdowns. It's called Cost of Lockdowns, a Preliminary Report. And it's, it's from just a few days ago, November 18th. I'll just read their introduction. And then it's, it's, it's mostly headlines and links. And the links go to mostly official sources, places like the CDC, the AMA, the World Bank, UNICEF, the World Health Organization, Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, Federal Reserve, the UN, JAMA Research Letter, uh, NI, uh, NIMH, the AHA, the FBI, the QSR, the FSR. So, you know, these aren't just uh, clickbait headlines, right, published by you know, the New York, New York Post or the uh, Daily Mail or what have you. These are, at least if you're a, a mainstream person, these are quality sources. <laughs> All right, let me read their little introduction. It says, in the debate over coronavirus policy, there's been far too little focus on the costs of lockdowns. It's very common for the proponents of these interventions to write articles and large studies without even mentioning the downsides. Here's a brief look at the cost of stringencies in the United States and around the world, including stay-at-home orders, closings of business and schools, restrictions on gatherings, shutting of arts and sports, restrictions on medical services, and interventions in the freedom of movement. So, of course, I'll link to this, and it's formatted by category. So the first category is mental health. Most of these are from the CDC. One is from the J, the JAMA, um, and one is from the AMA. Let me... Just read the headlines. I'm not going to click through, but you can click through if any of these are of interest, uh, particular interest to you. Maybe you have experienced some of these or you're very close to somebody who's experienced some of these. During late June 2020, 40% of U.S. adults reported to be struggling with mental health or substance abuse. 
40%. Of adults surveyed, 10.7% had thoughts of suicide compared to just 4.3% in 2018. That's a two and a half fold increase. Reported symptoms of anxiety were three times higher than they were in Q2 2019, and reported symptoms of depression were four times higher than they were in Q2 2019. Of, it, of individuals aged 18 to 24, 25.5% considered suicide. 25%. One out of every four people considered suicide from the ages of 18 to 24. In New York alone, Google searches increased for phrases and words anxiety, panic attack, and insomnia. That's just a New York uh, source. Between April and October, the portion of emergency visits related to mental health for children 5 to 11 increased by 24% and 31% for 12 to 17-year-olds compared to 2019. In late June, 13% of survey respondents said they had started or increased substance use to cope with the pandemic. More than 40 states have reported increases in opioid-related mortality, increases in opioid-related death. From January... 2020 to March, 19,416 people died from drug overdoses, which is 3,000 more than in 2019 of the same quarter. Okay, that's uh, mental health. Let's go to the economy. This is U.S. In March alone, food banks gave out 20% more food than in an average month. This one's worldwide. This year, between 71 and 100 million people will fall into extreme poverty. That's from the World Bank, June. I mean, just, just think of the implications of that. I don't know who it was. I think it was Tom Woods or somebody Tom Woods was speaking with said that for the first time in a long time, the, um, I think it's the World Economic Forum, one of those, maybe the World Bank, estimated an increase in the world poverty rate. Okay. It's, it's been decreasing, right? Year after year after year, down to, I think it's something like 8% before this year. And due to supply chain Interruptions all over the world due to lockdown orders all over the world. That number for this year will not be going down. Instead, it will be going up from 8% to 9%. And the result of that is the death by starvation of 100 million children and even more, obviously, adults. But 100 million children worldwide because of an increase in poverty from just 8%, which is amazing, to 9%, which is also amazing, but because it's going up, instead of decreasing the amount of deaths, we've increased it due to lockdowns. Are 100 million people going to die from coronavirus? If we look at worldwide COVID deaths, we have 57 million cases and 1.4 million deaths, okay? And we already know, based on the science, based on lockdown science, that lockdowns haven't had any effect. There's no correlation between the spread of this disease, the case rates, the, the infection rates, the mortality rates, and the state of lockdowns, country to country, state to state. There's no correlation. So you can't say that had nowhere locked down, this 1.4 million deaths would be anywhere near 100 million deaths that were causing by the lockdowns for the most marginalized of people on this planet. You can't say that this would have increased 100 fold. You just can't do it. So that's, that's, uh, um, that was something I don't remember uh, that, that, that particular claim is not on this page, this page, but the next, the next item on this page, it says, uh, this is from May UNICEF save the children. About 86 mil- million children may fall into poverty. 
The next one is just the U.S. Rate of food insecurity from 2018 to mid-2020 has more than doubled for households with children, 14 to 32%. This is from October. The World Health Organization worldwide number of undernourished individuals may increase from 690 to 822 million people. That's probably, you know, where the figure of 100 million children will die. It's probably from that group. And this is U.S. Q2 2020 GDP decreased at an annual rate of 32.9% and Q1 decreased at an annual rate of 5. Right, nobody, nobody who pushed for and actually implemented lockdowns state to state, country to country, nobody actually considered, you know, the economic effects or the mental health effects that this would have, right? Because when, when these orders went in, what did they say? They said, we need two weeks to flatten the curve. Okay, the argument wasn't we need to get rid of the virus. The argument wasn't we need to, you know, that this virus isn't going to spread, that we need to stop the spread until we get a vaccination. Okay, nobody was saying that you weren't going to get this if we did this. It was we need to protect our medical infrastructure. We need to keep hospitals and clinics from getting overwhelmed. And we just need two weeks to just flatten this curve a bit. Okay, two weeks, would that have caused 100 million children to die from supply chain interruptions? Probably not. But when two weeks becomes four weeks, becomes eight weeks, becomes 16 weeks, becomes 32 weeks, and you never you never stop to think what the hell this is doing to people that depend on our economies worldwide, the blood is on the hands of every bureaucrat and politician that pushed for and implemented lockdowns worldwide. But what does it matter? They don't care. Nobody cares. Um, the next section is unemployment. Unemployment rate increased to 14.7% in April. This is the highest rate of increased and largest month-over-month increase in history of available data, which is since 1948. This is U.S. All of this is U.S. In March, 39% of people living with a household income of 40000 and below reported a job loss. The unemployment rate between February and April increased 12% for women and 10% for men. Well, what a, what a sexist policy that was. Mothers of children aged 12 and younger lost 2.2 million jobs between February and August, while fathers of small children lost 870,000 jobs. Wow, lockdowns have affected women more than men. Who'd have thunk it? One out of four women who were surveyed reported their job loss was due to lack of child care, twice the rate of men surveyed. That's a lot of people that depend on schools for child care, right? That's a lot of people. And I'm, and I'm the asshole over here saying we need to abolish schools. <laughs> No, we don't need to abolish schools. We need to abolish compulsory government schools, but that doesn't mean there won't be schools. We need to abolish um, uh, (laughs) non-Sudbury-based schools. (laughs) Um, Okay, education is the next section. This is worldwide. About 24 million children may drop out of school next year as a result of the lockdown's economic impact. Well, depending on what they're walking into, that might not be a bad thing. Right. I, I think more kids, especially teens, should take control of their lives and choose either to stay or to leave school. But that's just my preference. A decrease in life expectancy, this is US, a decrease in life expectancy by five point five million years of life is found to occur for US children due to the closing of US primary school primary schools. Hmm. Thirty thousand eight hundred and six internships were lost, a decrease of fifty two percent between March 9th and April 13th. 
Between March 9th and April 13th, travel and tourism internships fell 92%. IT dropped 76, architecture and engineering 65, and telecommunications 65. Accounting and legal internships fell the least, dropping 22. Well, of course, the uh, the lawyers, <laughs> the lawyers are well insulated, as we know. That's uh, that's all U.S. Okay, here's some here's some healthcare. Uh, this is UK. At the 10-week mark of lockdown, 2.1 million people in the UK were waiting for breast, cervical, or bowel cancer screening. This is U.S. That was U.K. This is U.S. Diagnosis for six cancers, breast, collectoral, lung, pancreatic, gastric, and esophageal has declined 46% compared to 2018. That doesn't mean the cancer's not there. It's just not being diagnosed. It's not being caught early, right? What's What was the, what was the PR? What was the PSA? up until this point, get screened early. Get screened often and early for cancer, for breast cancer, for prostate cancer, for all the cancers. Oh, except you can't this year. That will have effects down the road, disastrous mortal effects down the road. Pancreatic cancer diagnosis has dropped 24% compared to 2018. Breast cancer has dropped 51% compared to 2018. This one's from the Netherlands. The Netherlands Cancer Registry has seen as much as a 40% decline in weekly cancer incidence. Wow, you might think the COVID cured cancer. <laughs> Look, our lockdowns cured cancer, everybody. Surely that counts for something. The U.S. pre-COVID Medical University of South Carolina dropped from 20 stroke-related calls daily, or 550 per month, to about nine in mid-April. People are having strokes and they're not calling the hospital. They're not calling 911. They're not getting service. I guess they're just dying in the streets. Boy, what would we do without lockdowns? UK, UK cancer referrals have decreased 75% since COVID restrictions were implemented. Sorry, sir, you have cancer, but I can't refer you to a specialist right now because even though the specialist specializes in cancer, we need to use them as a nurse because we got a lot of people coming in for COVID. So your cancer is just going to have to wait. Make sure it gets the memo. 38% decrease in STEMI treatments in nine major hospitals across the U.S. What is a STEMI treatment? Let me open that one. This is from JACC.org, the Journal of the American College of Cardiology. Oh, segment elevation, cardiac catheterization, laboratory activation, something, something, something. Okay, some kind of cardiac something. Italy. In Italy, cardiological diagnostic procedures decreased 56%, PCI 48%, structural interventions 81%, and PCI and STEMI 40%. Wow, we're curing all kinds of diseases with these lockdowns. U.S., Cardiovascular disease is a leading cause of death in the U.S. Premature cardiovascular disease and stroke mortality cost $137 billion in lost future productivity. But, you know, people aren't coming in for that, so we're not catching it when it should be caught early, premature. This is the U.K. Admissions for chemotherapy decreased 45 to 66%, while urgent referrals for early cancer diagnosis decreased 70 to 89%. Wow, we're curing cancer all over the place. The U.S. during April, weekly emergency department visits declined 42% from the previous year average of 2.1 million to 1.2 million. Wow, we're curing disease and injury. In the U.S., in 2018, patients visiting the ER for opioid overdoses are 100 times more likely to die by drug overdose in the year after being discharged. They are 18 times more likely to die by suicide relative to the general population. Hospital financial losses will be as high as $323 billion for the entire year. That's U.S. only. Okay, let's go to crime. These are, let's see, we got three FBI, an NCCJ, and a refuge source. During the first six months of 2020, murder and non-negligent manslaughter offenses increased 14.8%. 
and aggravated assault offenses were up 4.6. So if, if you typically have 100 murder and non-negligent manslaughter offenses, you've now got 114, almost 115. 15 deaths. There's obviously more than that. There's more than 100 people. But out of 100, if, it, if, the, if the sample size was 100, you've increased it. Property crime offenses declined 7.8%, except for motor vehicle thefts, which increased 6.2%. Arson increased 19.2% in the first six months of 2020 compared to the same time the previous year and increased 52% in cities with populations of a million or more. Well, when you got nothing else to do, you play with matches. Between June and August 2020, homicides increased 53% and aggravated assaults increased 14% compared to the same period, 2019. That's U.S. 53% between June and August compared to the same period. So that's if you had 100 people, that'd be 153. 53 more people, right? Isn't that what that means? Uh, this is UK. A UK domestic abuse charity, Refuge, reported a 25% increase in calls made to helpline since the start of lockdowns, 25% increased domestic abuse. Okay, the next one is food. This is the last section. Food and hospitality. These are all U.S. Restaurants have spent an additional $7,400 on PPE, personal protective equipment, and enhanced safety protocols, which will take 66% of businesses six months to recoup. Well, that's six months to recoup. What is that based on? I'm curious if that's based on previous year sales or current year sales. Because <laughs> remember, a lot of these places didn't offer delivery before, right? You could call in or you could use their website to put in an order and go pick it up, but they didn't offer delivery, right? So, you know, the fact that there's companies like DoorDash and Grubhub and Uber Eats and Postmates that come in as third parties and say, hey, we'll take care of your delivery. We just need, you know, between 20 and 30%. But, you know, obviously we're not putting a gun to your head, right? You know, your, your your state lockdowns might be doing that. The virus might be doing that. We're not doing that. But we'll help you out. But of course, we need our, you know, what we take. Great service. Truly, truly, right? It's a miracle. But now, you know, those restaurants might be selling the same amount of food, but now they're sharing a lot of their profits with the third-party delivery companies. And most of that is being shared with the actual drivers, like myself. Out of any particular order... I'm making the most money on that order, right? Their tip plus the $3, $3 of whatever fees between the customer and the restaurant pays. You know, if we if we total the transactions, most of those, and I've done this before, most of those, most of what I accept to deliver, there's a lot of non-tip orders that I just don't accept. Most of those, I make the bulk of the profits as the driver. So it works out well for me, but these companies, they might, obviously their sales are going down, their restaurant, their food sales, their meal sales are going down. But to the extent that they bounce up because of their offering delivery, they're sharing a lot of that profit. So recouping those PPE costs in six months, you know, that's an interesting estimate. This is from September. But how many, how many jurisdictions are going back into lockdown, right? They, they go in, they come out. Many, many restaurants have gone bankrupt. They don't have what it takes to come back. Some do. They start up operation again. And here comes another lockdown. So this here's, here's more on the restaurant industry. The restaurant industry is set to lose $240 billion in revenue and 8 million employees in 2020. In May, nearly 75% of independent restaurants reported new debts greater than 50000 12% reported additional debt at 500000 and above. Now, I don't know um, 
the statistics on on which of these companies took the protection payroll program uh, quote unquote loans that were forgiven if if the money was used for payroll but was not forgiven if it was used for anything else. But there's a lot of information coming out now that a significant significant percentage of businesses were were at or already in bankruptcy proceedings when they took that money and they they still went bankrupt. So they took the money. And if a company goes bankrupt, it's not going to repay the loan anyway, even if it used it for something else, right? Maybe it paid payroll. Maybe it paid, they paid themselves. Maybe they paid some debts. Who knows? They went bankrupt anyway. Okay. A lot of this is coming out now. The amount of fraud and everything else that occurred with that total grift that was the PPP program. I'm sure some businesses who needed it were helped by it and, you know, were able to pay employees, even if they weren't technically open. Maybe a lot of people early on, because sales uh, were, were so far down, I, w- I would walk in to a restaurant to pick up some food, and half of the staff was sitting there scrubbing equipment, right? Like, like they weren't preparing food because there wasn't much to do, but they were going through like deep cleans and stuff. So they were still being utilized, and of course, they were being paid. So, you know, whatever. But listen to this. One in three restaurants are expected to close. One in three. I've seen a lot of closures here in Salt Lake. I'll be driving and all of a sudden I'll see, hey, that used to be a California Pizza Kitchen and now it's gone. Or hey, that used to be Dunkin' Donuts. Now it's gone. Or it used to be a Paradise Bakery. Now it's gone. Wow. I used to pick up there all the time. Now it's gone. I see it all over the place. One in three restaurants are expected to close. This was in August. This was before the new lockdowns. Right, what's this going to be? One in two? 86% of restaurants reduced staff due to COVID. 40% of restaurants expect to be out of business by March 2021. 40%. Two out of five? And this was from September. This was before the new calls for lockdown because of the rising case amounts and the increase to hospitalizations. I don't think anywhere in the world spent the summer preparing hospitals and clinics for a major influx in cases. I don't think anywhere prepared for that. Had they prepared, had they set up places, locations, hired staff, maybe graduated some some nursing staff a little, you know, a bit early, pushed them into some some sort of programs where they can at least be some level of front line. Had they actually prepared, then they probably wouldn't be overwhelmed. But they didn't. They didn't look at the science of respiratory diseases. They didn't look at the science of what coronaviruses do, the seasonality. They just buried their head, heads in the sand. They didn't prepare, and now everybody has to suffer. More government failure. And the people who were, who were trying to warn, right, on YouTube and Twitter and Facebook, the people who, who knew and were trying to warn, they were silenced. Because what they were saying was not what the who was saying, right? It wasn't the official line. And all of these places, all these social media companies and YouTube had policies that if it's not what the who is saying and the CDC is saying, you can't say it. Talk about a fucking fiasco. And, and why? why? Why would these places, these social media companies, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, why would they do that, you think? Because they're afraid. They're afraid of being attacked by the state. That's why they do that. Is it because they're afraid that users will be upset and they'll stop using their service and they'll lose profits? No, I don't think that's it at all. Because this, this, is, this is a polarized, a controversial a political, a partisan conversation, right? Because it's been politicized, it's become partisan. So any any 
users they were set to lose, they would they would also gain. So I don't think that that's why they did this. I think they did this because they had Congress people and bureaucrats and lawyers, their own lawyers, telling them, look, if we don't do this, this could turn out very bad for us legally, politically. We've got to we've got to moderate this and censor this. And the CDC has contradicted itself again and again on things. So has the WHO. So has Fauci. Don't wear masks. Do wear masks. None of them have, none of them uh, are qualified, are speaking in school when they talk about lockdowns. That's not a medical question. That's an economic question. That's a political question. It's not a medical question. The CDC and the World Health Organization are speaking out of school when they talk about those things. Totally. The Imperial College of London, out of school. But anybody actually speaking about it, giving their opinion, that was contradictory to the, quote, official sources of the WHO and the CDC and Fauci, they were silenced. So there was no preparation. Not all of them were silenced. There were people that that got through the cracks. Ivor Cummins has managed to keep his YouTube channel alive. And it's because he's so much focused on the data, right? And others. But they get on there. And these are are well-qualified people. Well-qualified epidemiologists and virologists and economists and political scientists, well, well qualified. And they're silenced because what they're saying is not what, what I guess Michael Malice and, and, you know, and these other guys would call the cathedral are saying. What's interesting is, is everybody who claims to be committed to science, believers in science, they're always on the front line shouting down scientific dissent. They're always on the front line shouting down scientific dissent. Now, I wonder, has scientific progress ever actually happened through consensus thinking? Has any major advance in science in the last two, three, four hundred years happened through consensus thinking? Or has it happened more often, maybe totally, through scientific dissent? Consensus thinking is not science. Science is challenging the science that comes before. It's dissenting. It's revising. It's continuously being incredulous and skeptical and doubtful. Okay? The science is settled. Consensus thinking. These things are not science. These things are politics and they're religion. It's dogma. It's one size fits all. And as it turns out, it's death and destruction. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. I know it's a downer episode, but it's important to know it's important to have this information, and this is this is by no means complete. There's been other stuff I've linked to and talked about. I'll link to this one. I'll link back to that other episode that I went through some, some of this type of stuff, the costs of lockdown, that source. And I'll link to the Great Barrington Declaration that I talked about, I read through and talked about as well. And I was happy to sign it as a concerned citizen. That's going to do it. Please remember, don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. Don't ask permission. Thank you so much for listening, and have a better day. Please send your comments and questions to everythingvoluntary at gmail.com. Please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash ebc. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everything voluntary. Will you do us a big favor? Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? That really helps. And one more thing. 
please share the podcast with your friends. We really appreciate it.